Hello again and welcome to your USCCA member-only content. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine, and I'm joined once again with noted criminal defense attorney and former state prosecutor Tom Grieve. And folks, we are taking you in five-minute segments through the entire process of a defensive gun use. We're getting down to the, uh, the, the really serious parts of this as we get into the courtroom, Tom. So I'm going to give you five minutes and uh, we're going to talk about what is the initial appearance and what happens the first time you walk into the courtroom after you've been charged, if you get charged in a, a, with a crime after a defensive gun use. So you've got five minutes. You're on the clock. What happens at an initial appearance? So the initial court appearance is going to be basically a lot of kind of mechanical pro forma lifting, which is a very fancy way of saying kind of some boring details. Okay. Now that would be the way it would ordinarily be in an ordinary criminal case, but let's make no bones about it. A self-defense gun case is no ordinary criminal case. Okay. Um, so as we already touched upon previously, and if you haven't seen this, then you should go back and take a look at some of the videos because we've talked about what you can expect as far as bail goes, making sure that you dispossess yourself of all deadly weapons and firearms because you'll probably have a bail condition prohibiting you from possessing any firearms. Uh, so let's actually talk about what happens. So they're probably going to have some sort of document, and the name of that may, may vary. In Wisconsin, we call it a criminal complaint, which is basically the probable cause document. It's going to outline more or less who you are, what are you being charged with? What's the maximum possible penalties? And then what's the probable cause to support the elements of those charges? Okay. And we won't go into all the details here, mm -hmm. but the gist to it is this. What's kind of the short story from the prosecutor or the state's perspective to support why are you being charged? That's what a criminal complaint is. It's not meant to be fair and even-handed. It's not meant to tell every side of the story. Maybe some prosecutors, that's the way that they treat it. They try to be even-handed. Other prosecutors may put together something more resembling kind of a very one-sided slam piece. That's fine. It's not evidence in and of itself, however. Mm -hmm. This is the case as written from the prosecutor's perspective to establish probable cause and to say, why are you being charged and who are we charging? And basically, this is the prosecutor trying to convince the judge that the defendant, the person who is now charged with a crime, that there's that reasonable evidence that this person did that and we should go to trial and try to find all the facts. Well, in essence, they have to, because in order to, to get the defendant on bail, oftentimes, depending on your state, and in order to bind them over through preliminary hearings and so forth, they have to establish probable cause in, in many, if not all states, within the four corners of that document. Uh, otherwise, the defense can move for dismissal of that of that criminal complaint, including at the initial appearance. But as far as what you can expect, uh, look, if you've been involved in a self-defense shoot, there's going to be, I'm going to use the, the Wisconsin term, there's going to be a lot of hoopla yeah. at that initial <laughs> appearance. There may be media. There's going to be all sorts of family members every which way for everyone. Um, you're probably not going to be allowed to talk to them. If you're in custody for that initial appearance, you're probably going to be let out. They're probably not going to let you look at them. There's a good chance you're going to be handcuffed wearing orange. Um, it's, it's not the most uh, cuddly process. And is this a position, is this the area where you make your plea, where you, you know the judge says, here's the charges against you, how do you plea? Is that is that it, when this happens? It might be. It mm -hmm. depends upon the laws in your local states. Um, so as an example, if the plea is what's called an arraignment, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's combined with your initial appearance, sometimes that's a later step in the process. Okay. A lot of that depends upon the type of charge you're facing, the jurisdiction that you're, that you're facing these charges in, and then what are the local court procedures and rules as far as how that goes. But ordinarily, the pleas will always be, if there is a plea early on in the process, a default not guilty 
mm-hmm. which you can always change later, yeah. but it's a default not guilty. So while we're talking about entering a plea and, uh, you know, is there the opportunity, when does this happen now with the plea bargain? Um, I'm certain that the prosecutor is going to come and say, you know what, I don't want to go through the trial. I will reduce it to this or, right. or whatever. I will give you this opportunity to make a deal. Um, when does that happen and how are you informed of that? So typically through your attorney, they're going to be giving you information about, look, here's what we're willing to offer you as a pretrial offer as a, as a means of compromising and settling the case short of trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, many states, there might be an obligation for the prosecutors to offer some sort of pretrial offer. And obviously, use the defendant. You can try to negotiate with that. You can use the leverage in your case of, well, look, we think we might win the trial because X, Y, Z, or there's problems with the way that your officers gathered evidence or did those Miranda good child issues. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. They took custodial statements when maybe they shouldn't have. So that's where those bargaining chips are going to be flowing back and forth. And again, as throughout the entire process, this is where, number one, where your education and training hit the road as far as what kind of facts, what kind of chips, what kind of cards did mm-hmm. you deal your defense attorney? And number two is, who's that defense attorney that you have and how good are they at the playing their chips and cards. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the point where we want to remind people to do everything right. (laughs) Get that good training and do everything right during your defensive gun use because the prosecutor is going to come at you with whatever he or she thinks are the facts, and you're going to have to present your side of this. And again, innocent until proven guilty, but they're going to be working pretty hard to prove you guilty, aren't they? They are. And it's a very intimidating process. It can be a very isolating process. And you're going to be facing a lot coming at you all at once. Well, thank you again very much for being here. Look at that. Right on time, we hit the five-minute mark, as we do every week, Tom. So thank you very much for being here. Folks, I want to remind you again, this is not legal advice. This is information we're providing to you to make sure that you understand what will happen to you following a defensive gun use. The aftermath of a shooting will follow you much longer than that three or five second shooting that you've just been involved in. You need to understand what's happening and you need to start planning so that you can become a responsibly armed citizen. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. I want to thank Tom Grieve, my special guest here. This has been your member-only content, a special service we provide to our USCCA members. Thank you for watching.